Well, good morning, Life Point. How are we doing today? Highly blessed. So that's a pretty epic video to follow. I'll try to do my best. Um, so my name is Fred. If I have not met you, um, I get to be your spiritual formation pastor. And what that means is that I get to care about discipleship along with everybody else, but I get to focus on discipleship here at LifePoint and empowering uh, other men and women to lead people to know and love and cherish Jesus Christ. And so uh, we've been in uh, a year in the Bible. We haven't gotten to the full year yet. We're about three months in to our year in the Bible. And I want to ask a question. Who here has, has been here since the beginning of the year in the Bible? You guys remember that? Oh, about half of us, okay. And if you have not, don't worry. Each message and each series kind of stands alone, but we've been really looking at um, who God is through the scriptures, and really our hope is that you guys would go home, pick up your Bible, and read your Bible yourself, okay? We're kind of walking you through the books of the Bible so you might read the word for yourself, um, and that way you get to be in a closer relationship with God. And so uh, today we're going to be in the book of Judges. Um, it sounds really harsh when I say Judges, right? Um, it's going to be in the Old Testament. Um, and the book of Judges comes right after Joshua, okay? Um, and we're going to be talking a little more about context. But the main point of what I want to talk about uh, is about our sight and about morality and really how what we see is not always correct. Um, and when we're talking about sight, um, I don't know if you guys can understand this or relate to this. When you only see half the story, uh, half the picture, you don't see anything, okay? Um, anybody here got kids or grandkids, right? Yeah, you, somebody comes to you and says, hey, this is what happened, right? And you're like, wait, hold on a second. Let me go talk to the other one real quick, right? And you realize that was only half of the story, right? So for me, uh, about four months ago, I was on my way to work. I stopped at a grocery store. Um, I got out of my truck and there was snow on the ground, like just like a thin layer of snow. I was like, okay, this is pretty compact. This is uh, nice. I can walk on this. And I started walking into the store. About a quarter of the way in, I begin to do the slip things. You guys ever done that on the ice? Um, and, and I fall backwards on my leg. I break two bones in my leg. I tear all the ligaments uh, in my ankle uh, because I had assumed that underneath that snow was asphalt. And it was about a half inch of ice, right? And I only saw half the picture. And when we only see half the picture, um, it can have really bad consequences, right? Um, it can affect us in really impactful um, ways in our lives. And, and this is kind of what we're going to be talking about today as we talk about uh, this guy named Samson, that our, our sight, a lot of times, is only half there. In fact, our sight is not right, okay? That's going to be my main point I'm going to keep coming back to, is that we can see the world in a certain way, um, and we think that's all there is, right? Um, or we see the world in a certain way, in the way that we want it to be. Um, anybody here, maybe the older generation, uh, remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You guys remember that? You guys know what that is? It's like a little triangle. Uh, Maslow um, talked about the things that we need as humans to thrive and survive. And like the first one, shelter and food and um, all these things. And, and at the end of his life, this guy named Maslow, he added a fifth part of what it means to, to live as a person and what we need. And he called it um, self-actualization, okay? And what he meant was that when all our other needs are met, we get to have a vision of the future. We get to see the future and what we want to be and we can make that happen, Okay. Um, and while there's some good things that can come from that, right, like having a vision of your life, a lot of times uh, uh, our sight and what we see and what we want to become does not become reality, right? It doesn't give us joy and peace and perfection. A lot of times it can leave us broken and empty. And that's really the story of Samson. We're going to be in Judges uh, 16 today talking about this guy named Samson who led God's people. Um, but as we've gone through a year in the Bible, 
we've really seen how God is evident in each book of the Bible, right? So in Genesis, it's really not hard to see God in the book of Genesis. Uh, He creates in the beginning, right? He creates all the galaxies, the stars, the trees, the fish, the land, and then he creates Adam and Eve, right? Two distinct people, and they rebel against God. They eat of a tree. God said, hey, don't eat of this tree. And like the next chapter, they're eating of the tree, okay? Which is kind of symbolic of the rest of humanity from that point forward. But but they rebelled against God. Humanity fell, um, and the world got pretty bad. Humanity kept getting worse and worse. In fact, Adam and Eve's kids, uh, the brother kills the other brother, okay? And it just gets worse from there. And, and then after that, God floods the earth. I think a lot of us have heard the, the flood account in the Bible. He saves Noah and his family. Um, after that, God chooses a guy named Abraham to make a great nation out of him, right? Um, and he sends uh, Abraham's family to Egypt, uh, where they grow into this great nation. And then uh, Moses shows up, Charlton Heston, no shirt, two stones. You guys remember that? Uh, that's a little reference for the older people of God. I'm not calling you old, okay? I'll do that. Um, but, but, but Moses shows up, and, and he, with God's power, delivers God's people from slavery and oppression. Now there are two million people. They come up out of Egypt in what's called the Exodus, the first generation in the desert in the Sinai Peninsula. They fail God. They, they don't trust him. And so that generation dies out, and the next generation enters into the promised land. Do you guys track with me, right? The, the land of Israel, what was called Canaan. Um, and, and the book of Joshua is this account of, of God's people conquering city after city and nation after nation until they take up residence in the land that God had promised them. But, but the Israelites didn't fully finish the job. They got lazy, like a lot of us do on Saturday afternoon. Like, hey, I just want to drink. I want to eat some food. I don't want to finish this project. But they didn't drive out all the people, okay? There were some that had iron chariots, and they were afraid, and they couldn't do it. Um, and there were other people that they just got lazy. And so they stopped driving out the people and that became a problem because what happened is the Israelites began to marry with the other nations that were living in the land. And that's not a bad thing except for that the other nations worshiped other gods, okay? Not just like okay gods. I guess there's no okay false god, but, <clears throat> but, they, but they worshiped other, other gods that would do things like sacrifice children, Okay, they would have crazy sex practices in the temples. Okay, it was not <coughs> kind of this neutral thing. Um, these were dark nations, and, and God's people began to worship other gods. And they turned away from God and the covenant that He had made with them. So the covenant uh, God had made with His people was called the Mosaic Covenant. You guys ever heard that? The Law. Um, so think of Ten Commandments plus a, a six or seven hundred more. <coughs> so the law, the Mosaic Covenant, is a covenant of works based in grace. Okay. So when I say covenant of works, that means that the people had to do things to have a certain type of relationship with God. But but the the law was based in God's rescue and grace from Egypt. If you guys have ever read Exodus, he begins the law with this kind of preamble by saying, "I am the Lord your God who has rescued you from the land of Egypt," and then he gives the law. So it is a covenant of works based in grace with blessings for acknowledging God and obeying his law. Um, If they obeyed, it would go well. And if they did not obey, there would be curses for abandoning him. Um, And what happens is after Joshua and his generation conquered the land, uh, he dies and the elders that led with him die. And the next generation rises up and they don't know the powerful works of God. They, they weren't there during the exodus. They weren't there during the conquering of uh, the land of Canaan. And, and now they're, they're, they're raised up. And that kind of points to, you know, for all Joshua and his generation did, they failed to disciple their kids to know the Lord. That, that was one of the big things that we see. But, but also it shows that in two generations, uh, people can turn away from God and his covenant. These people who saw amazing things, 
their kids and their grandkids didn't know him and didn't worship. And they began to worship other gods. And so God enacts the covenant uh, and he brings in what he calls marauders or invaders. Other nations start to invade them uh, um, and they, they begin to rule over Israel. And what would happen is a nation would invade because people were sinning. That means turning away from God, worshiping false gods, which aren't really gods. Um, and the people would cry out to God because of their oppression. God would send them a deliverer or a judge is what they called them. And that judge would conquer the enemy. He would destroy them. Um, there, uh, um, and, then, and then they would rule over the nation of Israel, okay? And then after that judge died, Israel did really well. There was no need for any more judges. I'm kidding. That's not what happened. It, it cycled again and again and again that God's people would, would worship other gods. He would bring oppression through invasion. They would cry out to God. God would give them a judge. The judge would rule and then die, and then people would turn away from God again. And it's in this cycle that we come to a guy named Samson, okay? Samson was a, a judge of Israel, but he was, his birth was miraculous. His, his mom was barren. And the angel of the Lord, who was uh, a, a God himself, comes to her, promises that she'll have a child, but he must be a Nazarite, okay? Um, what that means is, is he cannot cut his hair, um, he cannot uh, drink wine, and he can't touch dead things that are ceremoniously unclean. Um, and, and, and she says, okay. Um, she gives birth, and then there's this guy named Samson. And Samson is going to be the focus of Judges 16, okay? But Samson had some problems. If you guys don't know about Samson, he struggled, okay? He was a leader of God's people, but he had some serious struggles in his life. He did some seriously bad things, as we're going to see today in the Scripture. And he kind of exemplifies this idea of, of our sight is not right. Like he did what was right in his own eyes, okay? The constant refrain in the book of Judges is that people did what was right in their own eyes. Think of like the Wild West. People just did what they wanted to do. And Samson kind of was the full realization of that. But he still had this relationship with God. And he was kind of this confusing, complex character in the Bible. And through this all, as we walk through this today, my goal is for us to see how we've put God second in our life and hopefully begin to understand, man, this is how we can put him first, okay? So um, my main point is our sight is not right. We've got three stops. As we look at Samson and the things that he did, so first we're gonna see our fight is not right, okay? Like the, 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 the causes we take up are not always God's causes. They're not always righteous. We're gonna see our spite is not right. Some of you guys are like, well, I'm not a spiteful person and, and we'll, we'll get there, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. And then lastly, we live in a broken world and our night is not right. The, the sin around us is not Good. And so if you guys could open to Judges 16, uh, there's Bibles throughout the room. If you guys want to grab, you're like, what is this black book I'm sitting on? It's kind of hard. That is a Bible. You guys can open that to Judges 16. It'll also be here on the screen. So you do not have to do that if you don't want to. Judges 16, verse 1. We're first going to see how our fight is not right. Okay. It says this, Samson went to Gaza, which was a city uh, of the Philistines, where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. Okay, we're off to a good start. When the Gazites heard that Samson was there, and I'll explain why the Philistines and the Gazites did not like him, they surrounded the place and waited in ambush for him all that night at the city gate. They kept quiet all night saying, let's wait until dawn, then we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the, the doors of the city gate along with the two gate posts and pulled them out bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and took them to the top of the mountain overlooking 
Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. So even if you don't know Jesus, by the way, thank you for being here today as we talk about God's word and, and, and worship him. Um, you kind of probably know the story of Samson and Delilah. It's kind of the star-crossed lovers. Um, and we're not going to focus too much on the love. I love love, but we're not going to focus too much on that part of it. But we're going to focus on what happened because of it. So he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sork Valley. That's where the Philistines lived, God's greatest enemies who ruled over Israel at the time, the Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up and make him helpless. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver, which which was a a massive amount of wealth. Um, Later in the book of Judges, we see that somebody can live on 10 pieces of silver a year and they're offering her this vast wealth. So uh, Samson is not the greatest example, okay? I think you guys have picked that up right from the first verse in chapter. Chapter 16, um, what had happened was um, um, he, his parents had made this vow for him and he made the Nazarite vow that he would follow God. He would do these certain uh, things. He grew up in the tribe of Dan um, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and gave him a just great strength. He could do so many things. One time he killed a thousand men with a, with a donkey jaw, okay? Which is legit. I, I don't know how you do that, but he did. He had this powerful strength, um, and, and, and but he had a big problem is he... Uh, loved women, okay, a little bit too much. And, and the first woman he saw um, um, was his wife. And, and, and when he saw this woman, a Philistine woman, he went to his parents and he told his parents, hey, I want that woman, you go get her for me, okay? Which is kind of like, which is kind of weird, right? It's kind of like when I first saw my wife, Jenny, at summer camp. When I was 17, it'd be like me calling my mom, Marita, saying, hey, mom, I found a woman, you're gonna go get her now, okay? But that's what he does. He tells his parents and they're like, hey, she's not one of our people. She comes from the Philistines and he won them over. And so they go and get uh, her for him as a wife. And like I said, the, the problem with that is, is that she didn't worship the God of the Israelites, the God of the universe. She worshiped false gods and she did some pretty dark stuff along with all the other Philistines. And she had no intention, according to the text, of turning back from that. And what happens is, as, as time goes on, uh, eventually the Philistines uh, trick uh, Samson. He tells them a riddle. They, they, they threaten his wife to kill her. If she doesn't reveal what the riddle is, she, he tells her the answer. Uh, he loses a bunch of money. He ends up killing uh, about over a thousand Philistines because of this thing. And then they go burn his wife and her father-in-law alive, okay? Um, and so there's some animosity. You guys catch that? There's some animosity between between these two groups of people and, and between Samson and uh, the Philistines. And so when they hear he's in Gaza, a Philistine city, and that he's sleeping with a prostitute, they're like, hey, it's, it's hammer time, right? We're going to take him down. And they wait by the city gates and Samson wakes up. Um, and he doesn't wake up saying, you know, the God, God has called me to fight his battles. I love the Lord my God so much. I'm going to go destroy these Philistines. He just wakes up. Um, he grabs the post to the city gates and the doors, which would have weighed massive amounts of pounds. And he hikes up a mountain, he drops them on the mountain to make him useless to the Philistines. He makes their city defenseless. Um, And and he didn't do it. This is kind of the point of this. He didn't do it because he loved the Lord or wanted to fight God's enemies. He did it because they were messing with his game. He wanted to sleep with women. They were were hindering that problem, right? They were trying to control his life and even trying to kill him. And that's why he is upset with the Philistines. And so um, I, I know like the Bible was written a long time ago. You guys know that, right? It was not written yesterday by a guy in a room. This was written, uh, what we're reading today uh, was written about uh, 3,000 years ago and the events took place about 3,400 years ago, okay? And sometimes when we read the Bible, it can be hard to connect with what's being said. Like, what, what do I take from this? How do I apply this to my life? And as I was thinking this week, 
about this scripture, about Samson fighting these battles and, and really claiming it's, it's God's fight, a, a lot of us do that. A lot of us fight uh, battles for God. We do things for God when really we're serving ourselves. You guys ever done that before? Like we claim to be fighting for God and doing what he's called us to do, but it's really a form of selfishness, okay? And if you're here and you don't know God, you know this game as well, that you'll, you'll do what seems good to other people, but you're really serving yourself. So um, as a pastor, um, a, a few times to me and, and other pastors and leaders have had this experience. You have people come up to you, new people in the church, and most new people in the church are just amazing, right? But some new people in the church, they say, hey, you need to let me teach and you need to let me lead because God's told me, okay? You guys ever, you ever heard that as a leader, as a person? Um, and, and that's when you go and you sit down with this person and sometimes it's genuine. You're like, man, they are called to ministry. They are called to serve God. Let's, let's train them. It takes months. It takes years. Um, and other people, it doesn't take long before you see the father wound, before you see the desire for acknowledgement. You even might see pride or something else in that calling. It may be just me as a person. Man, there's been times in my life where I've used whatever gifts I have to serve myself while seeming holy to other people and like I'm following God, right? And I don't think I'm the only one who, who has done that as a believer in Jesus. And that's Samson. And the problem with Samson is that he was the judge. He was God's deliverer. He led the nation of Israel. You guys get that? And we catch him sleeping with a prostitute day one in chapter 16, right? Like, like he acted like he was serving God, but he only fought the Philistines when he was mad at them or when they messed with him uh, sleeping with a woman, okay? That's the only time that he would fight the Philistines. And what's interesting is that Samson, if you guys notice, if you guys read uh, Judges 13 to 16, is he only fights alone. Like Samson has no army behind him. He only fights alone, which points to his selfishness and his brokenness. Um, and just like him, I think that our fight is not right sometimes, a lot of us act like we're, we're doing great things, whether we know the Lord or not, and it's not right. We're really serving ourselves, or at least the motivation is not correct. And what this does is it creates this problem with the Philistines, okay? This, this cycle of bitterness and anger. And as we see at the end of verse 5, is they're paying this woman that he's sleeping with to betray him, right? Um, so that he might reveal the source of his power, because to them he was like a superhuman, Okay? Um, this dude had like Captain America powers. He had the power to lift this gatepost and to carry it away. And, and they wanted to know what the source of his power was. And this is kind of a really cool account, if you ever read it, um, uh, of Delilah going to him and saying, hey, if you really love me, you'll tell me how to kill you, okay? Which is kind of weird. If your spouse ever comes to you and says, if you really love me, you'll tell me how to kill you, you better run. Okay? You better go get some, go see Roy for some counseling, okay? Um, but that's, that's what she does to him. And, and, and at first he starts messing with her and say, well, if you get seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, tie my hands with it, I won't be able to, to fight. I'll be helpless. And, and she does it and he breaks free, okay? And then she's like, oh, you don't really love me. You said you love me, but you don't. And so he tie, then they tie him up with, with fresh ropes. And then she actually uh, weaves his hair into fabric. She uses a sewing machine, weaves his hair into fabric, and he breaks free of that even, and he fights his way out. Um, and she, because she nags him day after day after after day, which is never a good thing, right? Um, he finally relents and, and he tells her why he has such great power. He says, it's because of my hair. Because I made a vow to God. He'd broken the other two vows. Earlier we see him in a vineyard, uh, which breaking the first vow. And then the second one, he, he scoops honey out of a lion's carcass. He touches a dead body. He breaks his second vow. And the third vow was his hair. That's the reason he had power. 
He says, if my hair is, is cut, um, I'll, I'll be like any other man. And so he, he falls asleep in her lap. She calls in a Philistine. He comes in and cuts his hair. She wakes him up and the Philistines come and they seize him. And, and he does not have the power of God anymore. God withdraws himself from him. So let's look at this. And now we're going to see the spite of the Philistines, that they, they weren't looking for reconciliation or forgiveness. They were very upset. It says this, uh, Judges 16, verse 21. It says, The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to grind grain in the prison. But his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. That'll be important later, okay? Now the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon, the, the god of agriculture. They rejoiced and said, our God has handed our enemy Samson to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and multiplied our dead. When they were in good spirits, they said, bring Samson here to entertain us. They were all drunk and they were happy and said, hey, let's bring this guy out and let's mock him in front of us, Okay. So they brought Samson from prison, and he entertained them. They had them stand between two pillars. Um, and, and so what's very interesting about this story, I know I read a little bit more than what was on the screen, um, is, this, is this really interesting fact that Samson almost got what he deserved. Does that make sense? Like, he was supposed to be leading God's people, um, and you kind of read the story like, dude, you've killed so many of them and killed men and women. You probably, this, this is probably what should be happening to you right now. They, they took him, they gouged out his eyes. We don't know how. They probably had a sharp metal object and they gouged out his eyes and they did it because his eyes had caused him so many problems. He kept sleeping with Philistine women. So they, hey, let's take out his eyes so he can't keep doing that. He can't see beautiful women anymore. And they took him to a prison. They had him grind grain, which is super easy, a super easy job. Um, and, and they just oppress this guy. And what they do is they have a worship service for their God, Dagon. You guys catch that? Like these guys are so religious. They thought that Dagon had delivered Samson to them. And if you guys notice, Samson has never thanked God for anything. Like Samson does not, he's not a, a, a conventional worshiper of God. He doesn't do a very good job. But the, the, the Philistines, they worship their God. They think, man, it's because of Dagon, this God that does not exist, that Samson has been uh, delivered to us. And, and the reality, that's not what happened. Samson just messed up, didn't he? Like in his pride, he had actually told Delilah what had happened. He should not have probably been in that situation to begin with. But Samson in his pride reveals this and these guys begin to torture him and mutilate his body. And in this, we see their spite, right? Like you've got to be pretty upset at somebody to gouge their eyes out and then have them perform forced labor and then humiliate them in front of other people. And, and it was because of what he had done to them, right? He'd killed uh, over a thousand of them before this. He'd also burned their food stockpile for one of the years. He took 300 foxes, lit their tails on fire, then he sent them among the grain heaps and he burned their food. And families starved because of what Samson had done. And, and, and so the, the cycle of spite is kind of, it's kind of spiraling. And um, I, I know a lot of you, I know none of you guys struggle with unforgiveness, Right? None of you guys struggle with spite, um, with bitterness. Um, I, I think a lot of us struggle with this. And, and really the emotion that comes with that is what? It, it's anger. When something has been taken from you, the usual response is, is anger. And, and anger is a useful emotion for a short period of time. You guys ever notice that? that? That if something happens in your life, it's so much easier to get angry and get motivated rather than deal 
with your problems. So if your family's falling apart, guys, uh, it's so much easier to start yelling at your kids profusely and making digs at your spouse than actually deal with the problems. You guys notice that? Um, when you're struggling at work, it's so much easier to blame your boss and to blame the work and then throw your coworkers under the bus than to, than to deal with your own stuff. Um, even like relationships, like a lot of us, if a relationship fails, it's always the other person's fault, right? Like we have this bitterness inside of us. And I want to ask the question for those of you who do struggle with anger, and I think it's probably a little more guys than gals, but I think we all have it, it is how much of the world can you burn before you're consumed as well? Like how many people in relationships can you destroy with your anger? Because it destroys relationships 100% before it comes back on you. Um, what we see in Samson and the Philistines is, is this deep bitterness and this deep uh, brokenness. And it's not because of Samson's lust and, and desire for dominance. This is because he's angry with them, because he, he's upset with them. Um, and, and he kind of begins this cycle of spite. So who here loves the 80s? Anybody love the 80s? Yes. Okay, more, you, more people than the 830 service. Don't tell them I told you that, okay? So in the 80s, there was a movie that came out called War Games. You guys remember this? Matthew Broderick, um, he is a high school student. Um, he decides to hack into this computer software company, uh, but he ends up hacking into the U.S. government, into their AI that controls the nuclear weapons, okay? And he thinks he's playing a game with a computer, but in fact, he's initiating global thermonuclear war. Um, he decides that's the game he wants to play with this AI, and, and this computer begins to simulate nuclear war with the USSR, and they begin to, to, to get their weapons ready, and the USSR starts to respond, and it begins to escalate, and the computer is cycling through all these scenarios um, um, of how they can win a, a nuclear war. Because we all know nobody wins in nuclear war. It's just a, like they fire nukes, we fire nukes, the whole world is eventually destroyed. Um, and, and to teach us to the computer, Matthew Broderick's character uh, tells the computer to play tic-tac-toe against itself, kind of this zero-sum game. And, and because of that, the computer learns that nuclear war destroys um, everybody. And, and that's the same with unforgiveness and spite. It just destroys you and destroys everybody around you because it prompts that inside of somebody else, right? It prompts that, the bitterness and that anger inside of that other person. And we see that in Samson. And in fact, guys, uh, this humbling that he's experiencing, it's, it's going to get a little bit worse for him. And he never really repents of it. He doesn't really turn back to God. He cries out to God and God does something in his life, but it doesn't really change him. And so let's see that, how Samson's night was not right, that there's brokenness in the world but it ends up um, being used by God. So let's look at this. We're going to look at uh, Judges 16, beginning in verse 26. It says, Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, remember, his eyes are gouged out. He's in the temple of the Philistines. They're, they're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. All the leaders are gathered together, 3,000 people. Um, um, Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, lead me to where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women. All the leaders of the Philistines were there. Okay, dun, 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 right? The setting is set. Um, and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. He called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. Sansom took hold of the, uh, of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and leaned against them, one on his right hand, one on his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might, and the temple fell down on the leaders and all the people in it. 
And those he killed at his death were more than those that he had killed in his life. And so, like, as Samson's situation is pretty dark, right? Like, he's going to be forced to entertain these guys and live with a mutilated body the rest of his life. He, he's brought before the leaders of the Philistines, and there's these seeds that the author is planting, right? The first one is that his hair had begun to grow back, and the hair was the source of his power, right? Not, not that, like, he had superpowers because of his hair, but he had superpowers because he trusted in God. And that was one of the vows that he had made. And, and he goes to this temple. The leaders are there mocking him. And, and they let him stand between these two pillars that support the entire temple. Um, which I don't know why they would put Samson there. <laughs> they know his strength, right? You guys are not very smart. But when that happens, he, he prays to God. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm really skeptical when I read that. Like, like when there is a leader of God's people who has failed miserably, well, uh, uh, when they cry out to God, you're almost like, God's not going to hear you, bro. Like, like even what you want to do is, is, is vengeance for what they did to you. Why would God hear that prayer? And what happened was that God, God did hear the prayer and he answered Samson. He gave him what he asked for. And, and what's interesting is that Samson... Um, Let me say this. Christians have messed up in a lot of big ways. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've probably made some big mistakes in your life, okay? And if you don't know Jesus, you know you've made big mistakes in your life. And when those mistakes happen with Christians or even Christian leaders, the thing that we almost always go to, we question their salvation. If you don't know what that means, we question, do they really know God? And we say, okay, do they really know him if they would be willing to do this thing? But a lot of people who've made a lot of big mistakes in their lives following Jesus are actually people who know God who are justified before God. And even Samson is among them, okay? Um, Samson is, is justified. You will see Samson in heaven with God. And we know this because Samson only appears one more time in the Bible. His name is only referenced one more time in Hebrews chapter 11 and what's called the roll call of faith, okay? Uh, of these men and women of old who put their faith in a Messiah to come and the God who was invisible. And he's listed among the judges as those uh, who, who uh, escaped the edge of the sword and conquered uh, kingdoms. And, and it, it implies and it says that Samson was a man of faith. And I think the question is, how do you reconcile this broken dude um, um, who, who does whatever he wants to do and slaughters people with this, this concept that, that he is justified before God? Um, and, and I think the answer is grace. The, the answer is God's grace. So, so grace is this idea of not getting what we deserve, okay? Like, like grace is God saying, I know that you're messed up, but I still love you. And I'm going to show favor to you, okay? And Samson was an object of God's grace. There's this discussion with people who love the Bible. They, is Samson a type of Christ? Does he foreshadow Jesus? And even though there's a couple cool things in there, he does not. He's a foreshadowing of our need for Jesus. He was a deeply broken man, a deeply broken leader um, who was supposed to lead God's people, but instead he led them partially away from God. But he is an example of somebody who receives the grace of God. Um, our sight as people is not right. Like, man, we are just like these guys. We do whatever is right in our own eyes. And whether we relabel that or not, whether we hide that or not, we live in a broken world. And every one of us are broken. But we've experienced the grace of God. Um, like I said, our sight is not right. Um, and the reason is, um, 
is because our light is not bright, okay? So like our illumination is not there. So Samson had the law, okay? He had the law of God that illuminated who God was and what he would do and how he would bless you and how these people were supposed to act. And he disregarded the law just like everybody else. And our law is we have a law as well. If you guys didn't know that, according to a book later in the Bible, Romans 8, we have the law of the spirit of life, which is the gospel of Jesus, The good news of Jesus illuminates our hearts and our minds, doesn't it? Indeed. It it illuminates, it reveals what's real. So like that cool intro video, the bumper video, that video was kind of distorted, right? Because it took half of the picture and mirrored it to the other half. A lot of us live our lives not considering the grace of God, don't we? That God is a gracious God, that he is holy, that he is just, that he loves us. And a lot of us only live with what we see. We don't see the other half. And that half is found in the gospel of Jesus, in Jesus' birth. Um, and he had a very similar birth to Samson, um, kind of this miraculous birth, his life and, and his death. And so when Jesus was put to death 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, it was the Romans who killed him. It was the Jewish leaders who killed him. Um, but it was also God's people who killed him. And I wonder how many of us back then, if we were there, would have stood up for him or we would have helped put him to death. Um, I think a lot of us, man, we're just like Samson. We're just as brave. Maybe my wife, well, I didn't sleep with a prostitute and kill thousands. But no, you did not. But you've done broken things. You've rejected the covenant God has made with you through his son, Jesus. And we have grace and we forget about it constantly, don't we? Like a lot of us, grace is normalized. We go to church and we say, okay, I'm going to hear about grace. I'm going to talk about grace. I'm going to assume I get grace. But it doesn't excite us sometimes. And just the, the best visual that I, I have for this is a lot of us live prideful lives. I mean, not all of us. Again, some of you guys are doing awesome. But a lot of us live prideful lives. But nobody here would stand at the foot of the cross beating their chest, saying, I'm right. Every decision I've made is correct. When we see Jesus dying on the cross, right? Because what's he dying for? He's dying for us because we have not made good decisions. We are broken men and women, and we have this deep need for him. And what he's done, that, that's why the gospel illuminates us. It gives us light and life. And so um, as we kind of step into these next steps that I have for us, um, what I believe that scripture is kind of pointing us toward, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to put God first, okay? Because the very definition of pride is that you put yourself first. Um, you guys ever heard of the word idol? You guys know that word? It's like kind of like an old word. Um, all of us have idols that we worship more than God, the things that we put first in our life. And And really the key thing is what captivates you. Whatever captivates you the most, that is your idol. And for a lot of us, it's the person in the mirror, right? Even if you're not that good looking like me. You're captivated by yourself. You worship yourself. You follow yourself. Am I I wrong? Like, Like a lot of times it's us. We are our own idols and we do what's right. Just like these guys, they did what was right in their own eyes. Their sight was not right. And so um, this week, um, as you guys are, are doing your thing, um, going to In-N-Out, eating a double-double, fries animal style, no spread, of course. Um, um, I challenge you guys to put God first first by naming your idol, okay? And like I said, a lot of times that's you, okay? That's me. A lot of times we put ourselves first and we feign holiness and Christianity and I'm following God, but really we're following ourselves and we just, our interests just align on this thing, right? And even if we don't notice it, you know who notices it? God and everybody around us, right? Like, like it, so for me, my wife, it doesn't take long for her to see my pride. 
Okay, and to feel, this doesn't feel right. This feels like a very weird thing where he's angry and, and he's bitter and he's walking in these things. So um, name your idol, and it could be lust, it could be control, it could be dominance, um, it could be anger. But name your idol. And then secondly, I want you guys to turn on the light. And what that simply means is let the gospel illuminate what you've put first in your life. Like what does the gospel have to say about you being first in your life? As if you are preeminent and perfect. Well, it says Jesus died on a cross for, to forgive sin, which means you are not perfect, which means that you are not great. Uh, you guys are great. You're looking really well-dressed today, smell very nice, but uh, we're broken too, aren't we? So, so turn on the light, let the gospel and maybe the scriptures illuminate that. And lastly, this is the hardest one, invite somebody in. Like, like, like find somebody and say, hey, uh, uh, you know, I follow Jesus. You follow him too. I want to just tell you that I have not followed him a lot of my life. Like I, I've, I've put myself first. I put these other things first. And just share with somebody what you're walking in. And guys, you wouldn't believe the power, not, not just in the sharing, like that's cathartic, that, that's helpful. But, but as that person, if they know Jesus, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to remind you of his grace, of the gospel, that he died and he rose. So why are you going to live in that? Why are you going to go bed? And then somebody else knows. And, and, and then you get to know some of their stuff too. And, and, and a couple of just easy ways to do that is maybe get in a small group. A lot of you guys, you've been to church. Uh, maybe you've been to Bible study once, but you are very hesitant to get in a small group. And I want to encourage you, find a group of people that you can walk with, okay? Whether that's at this church or maybe God's calling you somewhere else, and that's fine too, but find that group of people. Maybe it's a support and recovery group, Okay. Maybe there's things in your life that you can't own and do on yourself. You need help, okay? Or maybe uh, for, for something more intense, maybe there's counseling for that. Um, whatever it is, invite somebody in. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray, and then we'll get you guys out. Um, Father, thank you so much um, that, that your sight is not broken like ours. God, we, we always see half the world, maybe not even that, and we assume that's all there is and we're so wrong. Just like me walking in a parking lot with snow on the ground and, and destroying my leg because I, I didn't think that there was another half to the picture. Lord, I pray for those here today who don't know you. Yes. Um, they've lived in this place where they are distorting things because they don't see full reality. They don't understand that you're there behind everything, God, that you were there the day they were born. You were there on their darkest moments when people did things to them or they did things to others. And, and you're here right now yes. waiting for them to, to say yes to you. Yes, um, I pray that they would see the other half of the picture of your grace that can change everything. Father, I pray for this, for us who know Jesus. Um, and I'm ashamed to say this, that, that I, so many times I turn back to selfishness. I, I cover it up as holiness and, and, and I really mislead myself. Um, I pray for those of us who do know you like Samson, that we would repent, that we would go back to grace. Man, the God, we, didn't, we didn't leave the gospel behind. Jesus' death and resurrection, that's still for us today. And then when Jesus died, he died 2,000 years ago to forgive all of our sin. I pray that we would truly believe that. And I pray through that would come light, that there would be this illumination in our, in our hearts and our minds um, that would give us hope. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple quick things before we head out. Um, 
First off, we uh, next Sunday, Pastor Roy is going to be bringing the word, and he's going to be uh, teaching on losing the crown, so you don't want to miss it next Sunday. Um, also, out in the lobby, we mentioned Kids Day Camp. There's a table. You can go sign up your kids, your grandkids, um, your neighbor's kids. Do it first and ask permission later, right? Um, sign people up for day camp because it's, it's filling up, and I, we're at 80 before. I'm sure we're over 100 by now. So go sign up for that. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.